You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Exodus. Deliverance. A way out. When the Israelites were captive to a bondage forged by human hands, God delivers. When the idolatry of their human hearts was louder than the hunger after their God, God is faithful. When God's people forfeited the blessings of his divine presence, God restores relationship. At the moment, God meets with Moses on the mountaintop. He has already saved them. God redeems and brings his people into freedom and then provides instruction on how to live. Be holy for I am holy, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Be holy and show the nations who I am. Moses, an instrument of God's rescuing, leads the Israelites out of physical bondage in Egypt. Yet he is a mere shadow, a pale precursor to the one who leads God's people out of eternal spiritual bondage and sin, Jesus Christ, the one who came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and to set the oppressed free. This is a story of rescue and freedom a story of God's desire to dwell with his people, a story of grace upon grace. Turn with me to Exodus chapter five. We're continuing our series this morning, as you just saw, Grace Upon Grace, where we're working through the book of Exodus together as a church family. Real quick before we dive in, just want to reiterate what Brad said. If you are here next Sunday and you are able, I can't encourage you enough to come to the foster care meeting. And the reason why is you can come to that and hear about how you can help out, like Brad said, even if you don't necessarily want to become a foster parent. Our church collectively, just by being a part of our church and by being a part of a gospel community, is going to help with foster parents and with foster children here in Lane County. In fact, yesterday it was really encouraging to see uh, several of our gospel communities uh, serving the foster care family as they did at Trunk Retreat. And so, uh, I think it was around 400 foster kids, roughly in Lane County, got to drive through in their vehicles while a ton of people from different churches and different aspects of the community, but several of our gospel communities handed out candy to them. So it was encouraging to see that. And at the same time, it was also difficult to see that because you see and recognize how many foster kids there are inside of Lane County here alone. And so I can't encourage you guys enough. You're not signing up for something. You're not signing up to become a foster parent. You're just hearing about the ways that we can help and the ways that our church are going to come alongside and help as well. So Exodus 5 and Exodus 6, two big chapters that we're going to be covering today. And here's what we're going to be looking at. God's promises help us with pain. God's promises help us with pain. So I can't promise you that it's going to be the most uplifting, encouraging message today. But I can promise you this, is that what we get to see from Exodus 5 specifically is we get to see that God allows his children to go through difficult times and circumstances in life. And what we also know through Christ and the cross and what he accomplished now 
For those that are in Christ, we never walk through the painful seasons alone in this life. So we're going to look at that today, how God's promises help us with pain. I'm not saying they eliminate pain. I'm not saying they get rid of pain. We believe God's promises help us with pain as we go through pain in this life. Something that Westerners don't like, which is why the U.S. makes up roughly 4% of the world's population and we consume 80% of the opioids. And the reason why is pretty simple. It's not that we have so much more pain than everyone else. It's that we're pain avoided. In fact, we are addicted to feeling anything that feels painful. And so we push it away as best as we can. Medication like that doesn't even fix the problem, but we don't care. It doesn't get to the symptom. It doesn't get to the root. It just numbs something up so we don't have to feel something that feels uncomfortable and unsettling and painful. We do not like pain. We do not like discomfort. And so a lot of times, whenever we go through it, it's, it's no wonder why so many people fall away from the faith, why they fall away from the church is because they didn't have, as Brad Leibel would say, they didn't have a storm-proof theology to even start with. They didn't have a theology that was ready to even endure pain or face pain. They didn't know about God's promises. In fact, in his word that tell us that in this life, we will go through pain. And so when pain hits, we go, what's happening? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at how God's promises help us with pain. But let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for air. Thank you for God, even though in the Pacific Northwest, we feel we just get such an abundance of it for rain. Father, thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that we're not left trying to come up with the knowledge of you on ourselves, but instead you've revealed who you are, what you're like and your character through your word. You've also revealed through your word what you've done to save us. Father, it's a hard thing for us to even admit that we need to be saved, that we need to be delivered and that we need to be redeemed living in a world where we want to show our work, show our merits and show our efforts. Teach us today about your grace. Teach us today about your love. Teach us today about your mercy. Teach us today about the gospel. Father, where there's pain in this room, I pray that you would comfort those that are in pain. I pray the comfort they would find are in the promises you give, but ultimately I pray the comfort that we find is in the promiser who's with us always through all the midst of pain that we face in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, we took our three kiddos to Disneyland. And for a good portion of our time there, we were just there for a day, I was forcing our kids to ride rides. And in fact, my wife told me at one point, it might look like I'm abusing our kids because my oldest was, she literally had herself wrapped around the pole and I was pulling her away from it, telling her like, you're gonna have fun. This is gonna be fun. I even think we have some pictures. Yeah, there you go. So the one on the right, it's pretty blurry. You can't see it, but there's only two of us that are having fun. It's my wife and I. And then on the left, you can see that even when the ride was over, my middle child, she still was not having fun. And so I, I say that for this, is that I thought if I could get them to do this and push through something that they didn't want to do, that they would have fun with it. And in some cases they did. After the ride was over, they're like, whoa, that was so awesome. Thank you, dad. I'm, I'm glad you made us do that. I say this to say that oftentimes that is a picture of us. As soon as we approach something painful in life, we're gripping, we're squeezing, we're, we're, we're grabbing a hold of something saying, get me out of this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to endure pain. I don't want to walk through this valley. I just want out of this. We'll do anything we can to get out of it. However, in, in, in my case, where it differs from God is that I was doing something in hopes that my kids would have fun. Whatever God does for his children, listen to this, please. 
Look at me and listen to me here. Whatever God does for his children, whatever he allows to come into the life of his kids, passes through his hands first, and he allows it for one purpose, his glory, your good. We can start there. We can start with that promise. Any pain that you're going to face in life didn't just flippantly come your way. It didn't come your way out of God's control. Pain that has entered your life, tragedy, hardship, trials, whatever it is, first pass through the hands of God to say, I'm going to allow this in my children's life, and I'm going to use it for my glory and for their good. Let's look at how Exodus 4 ended. Brad preached on that last week. Look at this with me. Exodus 4, 30. It's just a great ending. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. It's good. Moses goes and he tells them, this is what the Lord's going to do. He's going to save us. He's going to redeem us. The Israelites believe and they start worshiping and they're like, yes, this is amazing. It's awesome. Then we get to chapter five. Let's pick up there. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Let's just pause real quick. Again, Israel believes they're worshiping. Moses starts off and he's like, let my people go. And then we get to verse three. He's like, that doesn't work. So then he goes, please let us go three days journey into the wilderness. So you can already see he's, he, he's kind of backing up a little bit because he's not getting the response he thought he was going to get from Pharaoh. Verse four, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. This is what happens. Moses and Aaron are excited with the Israelites and they believe that the, this king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and, and we need to remember, because we looked at this weeks ago, Pharaoh rep represents the serpent in scripture. If you don't understand that because you're, you're visiting today and you're investigating Christianity, let, let me explain this as kind of quick and as simple as I can. In, in the beginning of the Bible, we have a book called Genesis, and God creates everything, including man and woman, and everything is good. Man and, women are uh, man and woman is enjoying the presence of God, but then a serpent comes along, and the serpent deceives the man and the woman and causes them to believe a lie and indulge their own sinful nature. At that point, sin enters the world. So as Christians, we understand when there's brokenness in the world, when we look around and see those things, that is a reflection and picture that sin has entered the world. We don't have to look very far. We can see that in our own hearts and lives. In fact, right then, God makes a promise. His promise is that in this life, it's going to be cursed now. Work is going to be cursed. Childbearing is going to be cursed. Life is going to be hard because the result of sin on this world. And when we get to the story of Pharaoh, we understood that he used to wear a hat, something on his head that always had a picture of a cobra, a picture of a serpent. So we see this. 
What we're actually starting to see is the author, Moses, is starting to pit Pharaoh against God. He's saying, this is what God is saying. Well, this is what Pharaoh is saying. And so what we're seeing is it's getting ready for the great match, the king of Egypt against the king of the universe, which we know will be no match. The author is setting us up for this battle that is to come in this text. But what happened is that Moses and Aaron assumed, even though God told them, he was like, hey, Pharaoh's not going to release you guys. I'm going, to have him, I'm going to have to move upon him in, 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 a, in a radical sort of way in, in order for him to do this. But they were expecting this just to go nice and smooth. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh says no. And in fact, he says, you guys are idle. My dad used to kind of have sayings like this, but essentially, if you weren't working hard, or you had time to talk or do stuff, he was like, sounds to me like you got extra time on your hands. You need to work a little harder. This is kind of Pharaoh's response. He's like, sounds to me like you guys are all gathering around talking about what you can do. It seems like maybe you need to work a little harder. So he increases the labor. He makes their life harder. Not only are they making brick all day, we have to remember, these are real people. These are real people. These are real people that don't have a 401k. They don't have mental health days. They're working sun up to sundown, likely seven days a week, and then trying to go home to their wife and kids. You want to talk about a hard life? Not for not for 40 months, not for 40 years, 400 years. They're hoping. They're like, right now, this, this is going to happen. They go, and, and what they're doing is being faithful to God. And sadly, many people today think because I'm walking in obedience or because I became a Christian or because I want to live out faithfulness to God that life is going to become easy as a result of that, but that doesn't happen. This is why we first need to understand that God promises pain. God promises that life is going to be difficult as a result of sin. We don't have to look past our Bible to see this, that if you believe that just because you are following Christ or wanting to be faithful, obedient to him, that means pain is removed from your life. You're not understanding the Bible. In fact, look at Genesis. You have a man named Joseph, and Joseph was trying to be faithful to his boss, Potiphar, by not having sex with his wife. Joseph ends up in jail for two years. You fast forward to Job. I don't like this saying, you guys have heard this, I don't like this saying that, hey, if God closes one door, he's just going to open up another one. That's not always true. Sometimes he brings the whole house down. Look at Job's life. A man who was striving to be faithful and obedient to God, everything came down. You fast forward, what about David? David was anointed king. He was anointed the king of Israel. Guess what? He spent the next 15 years of his life fleeing from Saul. You want to talk about patience? He's anointed to be the king, and now he's running for his life from Saul. You fast forward, what about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These men wanted to be faithful. They just watched their home destroyed, their city destroyed, their land destroyed. They're trying to be faithful and obedient to God, and they end up in a furnace. One ends up in a lion's den. But then you fast forward, and you get to our New Testament, and you start to see this. Look at Peter. We know this from history. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think of himself to be wor or worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. His wife was crucified right after him. Who else? Let's look at the, some of the apostles. Andrew was also crucified. Thomas was speared by four soldiers. Matthew was stabbed to death. James was clubbed to death. Bartholomew was filleted, in other words, skinned alive. Paul he says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. It's Paul, man who wrote most of the New Testament, talking about the pain and difficulty of life. Also, look at some of the scripture that we have that promises that we're going to face pain in this life. Look with me for just a moment. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. John 16, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, promise, here you go, will be persecuted. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, we're going to go through difficult things. We'll experience the comfort of God so we can comfort others. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. This is so helpful. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus saying, if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Look at the next word, daily, and follow me. Jesus' invitation was, come and die if you want to follow me. Come and die. Sadly, we've, we, we've taken whatever it is to take up our cross as well. I think my cross was, my, my girlfriend broke up with me after like three months of dating. That was my cross to bear. I had a difficult time in junior high for a season or something like that. That was my cross to bear. It's like we have minimized what it is even to follow Christ and the sort of suffering that can come from that. So much so that like Peter says, when pain comes into our life, we don't know what to do other than try to shun it or push it away. Though scripture over and over and over again promises us pain. This is important. We can't get past Exodus 5. We don't want to skip Exodus 5. We don't want to get to the plagues. We don't want to rush there. We don't want to rush to the deliverance to the Red Sea. We don't want to rush to Sinai or to the tabernacle. We need the Exodus 5 stories because they remind us that in this life, there's going to be really painful and really difficult seasons. And with these kind of stories that are in here, they start to reveal what our true theology is, whether if it's stormproof how we face pain, how we endure pain, how we go through pain in this life. They start to reveal that. Notice here what Pharaoh says in verse 9. He says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. You see what Pharaoh's doing here is the same thing the serpent did back in the garden. It's just more direct now. Is the serpent in the garden was telling Eve, did God really say that? Are you sure that's what God said? And the serpent was attempting to deceive Eve. Pharaoh here is just being more blatant. Don't pay attention to God's lying words. This is why Christians need to be rooted and anchored in God's word and in the gospel. If not, 
When, when difficult times come in life, you know what we will find ourselves doing? Fast forward here with me. Go to verse 22. What happens between 10 and 22 is this. The chain of command goes and tells the Israelites, this is what you're going to have to do. Go grab straw. You have to gather it for yourself, and you're going to make it. And then so what happens next is the task match, uh, the taskmasters and the foreman, specifically the foreman, go back into Pharaoh, and they're like, you, you're beating us. Like, we can't keep up with the quota. Pharaoh's like, not my problem. Keep up with it. So then they tell, we'll go back to verse 20. You really see here, even in this, that Moses and Aaron had become cowardice in this. Because after the foreman leave Pharaoh's chambers, this is what said. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. So they're waiting for them outside as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Look at what Moses says. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why do you ever send, uh, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people. Why questions reveal a lot about our theology. God, why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this to me? Why have you permitted this pain to come into my life? Why, why, why? Why reveals a lot. Do you know what it actually starts to reveal? Is that we have more prosperity gospel in us than we'd ever want to admit. And when I say prosperity gospel, what I mean is it's a garbage gospel that is presented like this. If you are obedient to God and faithful to God, then health, wealth, success, and happiness follows. That's the message that is being received by so many third world countries, which is devastating and tragic and really sad that the message that's being presented to third world countries is if you are faithful and obedient to God, you should be healthy, wealthy, successful, and happy. Well, then pain comes into our life because we're told that. We're also told by, and I'm not just picking on local businesses, but we have local businesses and even donut shops that say, you deserve this box of donuts. You deserve this chocolate. You deserve this. You watch a Dr. Pepper commercial and they say, you deserve. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. Then what happens when pain comes in our life? We say, why God? Why would this happen to me? I'm faithful. I'm obedient. I'm down here doing my best job. How could you let this happen to me? Why? Why are you doing this? Those why questions start to reveal where our real theology is, that we think that we are deserving people, that we deserve to receive certain treatment. In fact, I would say so much of our relationship problems and of our marital problems come from that. This is what I think I deserve. This is what you're not giving me. Look at Pharaoh's heart. If we look at this, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. When we see people in the text as we read through historical narratives like this, we need to figure out how we might closely align with the Pharaoh. His heart is hard. And where is our heart turning hard? Because in life, we think that we deserve certain treatment that we're not getting. I'm not getting recognized here. I'm not getting the treatment I deserve here. My heart's getting hard. I would ask you that question this morning. Where is your heart hardened? And how is it impacting relationships and your life? Where is it leading to bitterness? But I would also ask you this question. Where in your life do you have a theology that starts to reflect one of Moses here? Because we also do the same thing. We bring our complaints and murmurs to God and say, how could you? Why are you allowing this? Because what we're really saying is I'm the real deal. I'm pretty awesome, pretty special, and this is the life that I deserve to have. Then we don't know what to do with the Apostle Paul. In fact, we definitely don't know what to do with Jesus Christ. The only man who faithfully walked in complete and pure obedience to God on earth dies a criminal's death, 
hung on a cross, was beaten and spit upon, had his beard ripped out? Why? Because he was disobedient? No. He was faithful and obedient. There is no promise that as we walk through this life, it is going to be pain-free. David understood this. Read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Then he goes here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say, even though I avoid it, even though I walk around, even though you leap me over that, bad boy. He says, as I walk through it. He also, at the end of that Psalm 23, talks about how there is is enemies all around him, and the Lord fixes a table for him. In other words, he's saying, I've learned in the midst of hardships and trials where people are persecuting and pursuing me that the Lord is with me, providing. You see, I love the fact that we have Exodus 5 before we get to God's miracles and the plagues and all of that because we have to understand that as Moses was commissioned and tasked to go forth and deliver God's people, that doesn't mean pain-free. In fact, it, it meant more pain, more hardship. And oftentimes, if we're being honest, we don't know what to do with it. Look here. This is where God's promises help us with pain. Chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Jump down to verse 6. These are the promises God gives to Moses. First, what you see, you see a roused father. You, you see a father here who's rolling up his sleeves. If injustice bothers you, know that it bothers God a whole lot more because he is pure and he is holy and nothing but goodness flows from him. So when we look around the brokenness of this world, much like Christ would have when he walked on planet Earth, the injustice that is seen would have bothered God. Know that if you're going through pain and hardship in your life, God's now sitting there going, no pain, no gain, or just get through this. We see even in Christ that he empathizes, that he cries, that he meets with people in the midst of their pain. God hurts when his children hurt. This is what this tells us. God's rolling up his sleeves. My kids do jujitsu. I make them do (laughs) jujitsu. They ride horses, they do jujitsu, okay? They know how to beat up boys or ride away from them. So that's, that's what we're giving them. Those are the tools that they will work with. This week on the mat, there was a older boy as my, uh, one of my daughters on the mat, and he walked by and was essentially like yelling at her to do something, and he was yelling at other kids. Well, if, if, you wanna, if you wanna tick dad off, just mess with the kiddos. He comes by, I'm like, maybe it was a one-time thing. Nope, he does it again. I'm, I'm off the mat, I snap at him, and I say, knock that off. And he's like this. I'm, in that moment, I don't care if I tick the parents off. I don't care who's offended by it. What I do care about is that someone's messing with my kids. He stopped. It's a good thing because I didn't know what my next move was going to be. <laughs> but he stopped. And, and he came around next time. My wife's like, hey, I think he got the message, you know? What happened, essentially in that, just a fragment of what we see with God, God cares about his children deeply. He cares about the injustice and he cares about the pain. And so he's acting. And here's what he says. These are his promises that help us in the midst of pain in our life. Look at verse six. Say therefore to the people of Israel, Moses, tell them this. I am the Lord. And look at all the I wills. I've underlined the I wills in my Bible. I can't encourage you enough to do that. This is what God's saying. He's like, these are the promises you can count on. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. God starts with this. He starts with, I'm going to deliver you. What we actually see in Exodus is we get to see a picture, and I've said this before, a picture of how gross and vile a master sin is and the destruction that it does to our lives. We're getting to see an outward picture of it through Pharaoh and through the bondage that the Israelites are in. That's an external picture of what it looks like to live with the bondage of sin. It's a horrible master. You can give your life to sin and sin will never love you back. So when I say from up here, that we need to be delivered and that we need to be redeemed. What I'm saying is that we need to be saved and we lived in a society that wants to save ourselves so we don't like that already. What do we need to be delivered from? We need to be delivered from the fact that we have sinned against a good and holy God. And in fact, we need to be saved from the wrath of God. The word redeem actually takes on two pictures. One is that you're purchased. Other is that there's a kinsman protector. We see this in the story of Ruth. So what we need is we, uh, what a kinsman protector would do for a family in Near Eastern culture is if someone got themselves in debt, they would go and figure out how to settle that debt for them. What we need is that we've accrued so much debt with God that we can't pay or work our way out is we need Christ to save us, to deliver us, to purchase us, to redeem us. That's what he does. Literally, from, from, from Christ leaving his throne, coming to earth, all the way to the cross, he had a mission in mind, and his mission was to save, to rescue, to purchase, redeem, and deliver us. The difference between the gospel and liberation theology, liberation theology says that it's to save the oppressor from their oppression and pull them out of it. Christ doesn't just want to save us from an oppressive master of sin. He wants to deliver us to someone, God. That's what the gospel does. Christ purchased for us what we couldn't purchase for ourselves, a life of perfect obedience that he makes belong to us. He delivers us from the wrath of God by standing in our place. He purchased us by the cost of his blood, and he presents us to God as holy and blameless. That's what he does. That's his promise. As we see here, they need to be delivered. We need to be delivered. They needed to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed. And now what happens as a result of the gospel? So Christ does this work on the cross. What is the result from his life and his death and his resurrection? Adoption. We get a name. We get an unchangeable name and an unchangeable identity that is glued to us for all eternity. We become what it says here. Look at verse seven. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Because of Christ's rescue, because of his redemption, because of his deliverance, we become an adopted people. Co-heirs, saints, you will never be anything less than a son or a daughter of the living God. You cannot change that. You cannot unadopt yourself. Once God brings you into his family, you are safe. Look at what else he promises. Verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. They were wanderers. They didn't have a home, but neither did Jesus. Didn't have a place to lie his head. Lived as a homeless man so we could live with this promise that we will one day live with him on this earth for all eternity. Sadly, I don't 
preach the restoration piece of the gospel enough. In other words, that Christ's plan for redemption is to come back on this earth one day and rule and reign. In fact, he's going to get rid of all sin. He's going to get rid of all sadness. He's going to get rid of all cancer. He's going to get rid of all grief, and he's going to get rid of all pain. And the plan is that we'll be with him forever. Those that have placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We are so nearsighted that we can only see right in front of us. That's why I love this quote by John Newton. John Newton says this. He says, the way a Christian might endure trials is by considering the doctrine of glorification, which includes inheritance. The Christian should not complain, murmur, or despair in light of all that is coming. We should imagine a man who had inherited a really large estate worth millions, and he had to go to New York City to get it. And as he journeyed there, his carriage broke down, leaving him to walk the last mile. Can you imagine the man saying, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, kicking and complaining in disgust. He only has one mile to go to receive a million. Christian, we only have a few miles to go. In this life, there will be pain. And though it feels like it's never going to stop, our lifespan on this earth is so short. And the promise from God is at the end of all this, trust me, it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be glorious. God hates pain because pain is a result of sin. That's why Jesus came to deal with that on the cross. God's promise helps with pain because all of their promises find their yes in Christ. Christ became our deliverer. Christ became our redeemer. Christ is the one who brought us into God's family as adoptive children. Christ is the one who's going to return to this earth one day to reign and rule as King Supreme. All of their promises find their yes in Christ. Also, we have the greatest promise that the promise giver will remain with us hand in hand through all the trials, through all the pain and all the storms of this life, using it again for our good in his glory. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. In fact, they said here, which we, we have no proof, but if you go back to chapter five, it, Moses and Aaron say, hey, look, can you let us go unless the Lord our God, this is in, in, in verse three, unless the Lord our God fall upon us with pestilence or sword. I don't know where they got that from. But you fast forward to Romans 8, you know what Paul says? He uses the same word, sword. That neither sword, nor angel, nor pestilence, nor anything in all of creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. As I look out at our church family, I know that there's been much pain, much difficulty, many trials. Many are in that now. I know families have gone through cancer, gone through children that, that, that have cancer. And we can't make sense of the pain in this life other than the fact that we live inside of a sinful fallen and broken world. What we can make sense of is this. As God says, the pain won't necessarily go away, but I have a purpose for it. I showed that I have a purpose for evil in the cross when the truly greatest act of all evil is where an innocent man dies for us. And he's like, I have a purpose for pain. Trust me. And that's what we need to do this morning. Trust. We need to trust. We need to trust not in our experiences, not in our emotions, but we need to trust in the objective truth of what God's word says. More than ever before, we don't need a church filled with experiences. We need a church filled with the gospel and with God's word. We need a church that is stormproof, that knows how to minister to people that are going through pain, that knows how to walk through pain ourselves. Look at what it says right here. Chapter 6, verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of the broken spirit and harsh slavery. How do Christians respond? How do we respond? We have to recognize and realize this, that sometimes it's really hard for people to hear and receive the truth 
of who God is and what he's done in Christ because of a broken spirit. Sometimes a hardened heart, but sometimes a broken spirit. In fact, we were at an elders meeting the other day, and one of our elders said, I hear what you're saying. It's just that I'm having a hard time believing it. And sometimes that comes from a, a lifetime of pain, a lifetime of trauma, a lifetime of being told that we're worthless and that we're not enough, so much so that when you present someone with God's infinite love made available by Christ that is unshakable, we go, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe it or receive it. When, when God says, I look at you and I see you as holy and blameless and perfect, we go, I don't know, I don't know. It's because we have crushed spirits, which is why we need this. We need the truth of what God says. Not what our emotions tell us, not what our experiences tell us, not what we feel to be true. Let's bring those and make those subservient to what God's word says is objectively true. That's what'll help us in pain. That's what'll help us when our spirits are crushed. That's what'll help us when we go through difficult times in life. Sadly, so many people are like, I don't, I don't really read my Bible because I don't know that I get much out of it. What if your Bible reading wasn't so much about what you could get out of it, but what you could also give to other people? Also, I think sometimes we, we, we enter into our devotional time and then we grade God based upon how much emotions we felt during that. Sometimes God is good enough to not let you experience emotions for a long period of time so you don't worship the emotions you feel, but you worship God himself. Look, I know some of you guys are going to disagree with me and that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything bad about this. This is my opinion. I struggle with Christian concerts. Why? Sometimes I think they suck. Secondly, it's just true. I think we, we, we go to a Christian concert then come into the church with the same mindset. I'm here for an experience. I'm here for a service. I'm, 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 I'm here for you to give me something. I'm here for you to feed me. And the sad truth with that is, is that what we start to do by all of those things is we start to create emotions and experience. And what we do is we find ourselves worshiping an emotion and experience so much so that when the emotions run out or bad things hit in life, we don't know what to do. We come to church to declare the truth of who God is to God himself and to one another. What do we need? We need gospel proclamation in our church and in the churches more than ever before. We need a church rooted and grounded in the truth of God. We need to know that God's promises help us with the pain that we will endure in this life and that ultimately the promise keeper remains with us. I'm gonna close with this just because I like it and I think it's cool. We have, toward the end of chapter six, a genealogy. It just kind of seems like, man, what is Moses doing here? He, he, he throws us in. You have to recognize that people are pushing back to Moses. So in the same way the apostle Paul would, would call himself an apostle by the will of God, what Moses and Aaron could be doing here is showing, hey, we, we are true Israelites. In fact, they are descended from Jacob. But what's really amazing is they're not de- de- descended from Jacob's firstborn, Reuben. They're descended from Jacob's thirdborn, which is Levi. And in fact, if you look at the genealogy, what you also start to realize is there's a lot of brokenness in it, just like there's a lot of brokenness in Jesus's genealogy when you open Matthew 1. Why? God works through pain and brokenness of this life. Look at Jesus's genealogy. There's adultery, there's prostitution, there's a lot of wickedness in there. God brought the Redeemer through all of that. What we also see is that God doesn't function like society does and and, and like the culture's norms do. You see, back then there was a law called the law of primogeniture. And and what it meant is this, is that the firstborn child got all the rights. Everyone would have expected the firstborn to be the one to lead the Israelites. God's like, I don't work like that. I work off grace, which is why we've called this series Grace Upon Grace. Because what we see is this, is God uses and works with the brokenness of this world to accomplish his plan. 
what we need to do as Christians and how we respond to this is sometimes, and I'm just going to give one simple application here. One is a truth reminder. When we say God's grace, God's grace saved us from sin, didn't save us so we could sin. It's important. God's grace saves us from sin and delivers us from a cruel, cruel master and saves us and empowers us so we can live who we truly are as adopted sons and daughters of the living God. What we do is we actually have to put ourselves sometimes in places that are uncomfortable. If we know that we're pain avoidant and that we worship comfort, sometimes we are going to have to go where it's a little uncomfortable and trust that in the midst of that, maybe in the midst of pain, that God is going to use us there in places where we have to completely rely not upon our strengths and abilities, but upon his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises and the ultimate promise you're with us. God, I pray the promises that you have given us help us in the midst of pain in this life. I pray that as we look to you fulfilling our greatest need, that we can know that you will be with us with our daily needs. In Jesus' name. Amen.